Today's episode of Inside the Nest is filled with stories. Some you may have heard, some will be new to you, as we pay homage and get a long sit-down with Scott Whitlock, who's been a Kennesaw State employee for close to 40 years. If you've been a Kennesaw State softball fan, you know the name Scott Whitlock. He won a couple of national championships. He built Kennesaw State softball. He's played an integral part of bringing football to Kennesaw State and its success, and he's going to retire from KSU later this month. A long sit-down with Scott Whitlock to hear some of his favorite stories and his history here at Kennesaw State and why that matters today. Inside the Nest is brought to you by Fifth Third Bank, the official bank of Kennesaw State Athletics. This is fandom of Fifth Third Better. Visit 53.com for more information. I'm Nolan Alexander, and if you're listening to this podcast outside of your favorite podcast app, know that we're there. So if you listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeart, you name it, it's available there. Just search KSU Owls Podcast, and while you're there, hit that subscribe button. Again, this is a longer episode of Inside the Nest. I know we're coming up on the holiday season, so if you're on the road for a bit, or you're with your in-laws for a week and you need to escape them from time to time, come back to this podcast. I've broken it down about every 20 or 30 minutes or so. It's unique to be able to spend this time with Scott. I came away more appreciative of Kennesaw State, in fact, because of what Scott's been able to do here, the lives he's impacted, and the fun and joy that he brings to the office on a daily basis. So without further ado, here's Scott Whitlock on Inside the Nets. Scott, thanks for joining us on Inside the Nest. Uh, kind of some sad times around the Kennesaw State Athletic Department right now. Started out on a bit of a sour note with your retirement at the end of this month. I've only been here for a short amount of time. I've enjoyed being in your presence around the office. I know a lot of people have as well. And we'll get sentimental later on. But we're going to have some fun right now. Okay. Let's just start out this month. What's it like to go through this moment of retiring from Kennesaw State where you've been here for how much of your life? Uh, most of it. Uh, 36 years. Mm. I just turned uh, I just turned 59 years old. So I, I got here when I was 23 years old. So I, I pretty much have grown up here. What was going on and what was here at Kennesaw State when you were 23 years old? Well, back in 1985 when I pulled up on campus in my uh, 75 Buick, there was, you know, six or seven build classroom buildings. There was about 5,000 students. Uh, had a infant uh, athletic program that was predominantly being ran and coached by part-time personnel. Uh, a very wonderful man by the name of Speck Landrum was the first athletic director at Kennesaw State. And he was making the move to uh, hire full-time coaches. And because of my experiences while I was actually in college, lent itself to me being a, a pretty good candidate for uh, something that he needed. He needed somebody that could assist in coaching women's basketball and could also coach softball. Well, I had, while I was at Piedmont College, uh, I had been the, a student assistant with the women's basketball program and as a matter of fact uh, my senior year believe it or not uh, I was an interim head coach 
there. Uh, a very bad head coach. Uh, but also I was on the baseball team at Piedmont College and uh, the brand new prog uh, program that had joined the, uh, the old Georgia Intercollegiate Athletic Conference at the, at the NAI level was Kennesaw College. And so Piedmont played Kennesaw. And that's where I met Mr. Landrum. And, uh, you know, didn't think a whole lot about it and uh, graduated from college and actually moved up here to, to Marietta because I took a job uh, with Schwinn Bicycle Company. A uh, little known fact, at one time I was a certified bicycle mechanic. I actually even had a little plaque that said so. Uh, I hope those uh, credentials have expired, but I'm, I, I don't know if you keep that for a lifetime or not. Uh, but I'm not going to work on anyone's bicycle, so I guess it's a moot point. Um, but I was up here on campus to watch a game. Coach Landrum saw me, thought I was here scouting for somebody because he remembered me. And uh, I told him, no, I was just, I live up here now, I was just here watching. And uh, within two weeks of that meeting, I, I was hired. Uh, of course, I had to meet the head basketball coach who had just been hired and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I, that's how I got here. And when I got here, as I alluded to earlier before I strayed, uh, we had four or five sports. Uh, we, had, we had men and women's basketball. We had baseball. Mm -hmm. We had slow pitch softball. We added or re-added men's golf. And uh, for a short period of time, we had men's soccer. Uh, and then that kind of went away. And so it was a just a blank palette hmm. on which we could work. Uh, I mean, the canvas was absolutely clean. We uh, had no idea. Uh, that this was going to turn into this, this huge major university that it's turned into. Uh, and uh, so we took the first batch, quote-unquote, of original full-time hires, and off we went. And I, I am the last of the original hires that are still here. And uh, that's kind of crazy because when I first got here, uh, I was like, you know, the young punk coach, you know, <laughs> fresh out of college. And as we sit here and talk this morning, Nolan, I'm kind of the old fart around this place. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it's been, it's been a wonderful and joyous ride, but it started out very, 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 very uh, small here. What did it take to go from starting out small to where we are right now? It takes good leadership. It takes institutional support. Uh, when I came, Dr. Betty Siegel was the president of this university and she wanted athletics on campus. It wasn't here until she arrived. She wanted athletics, she wanted it to be good. And so she went out and found just 
the very best person that could have ever been imagined to uh, start athletics here at Kennesaw State in a spec Landrum, Coach Landrum, because he knew what it took to build something from the ground up. He had experience. He is one of the few people I know that coached football both at the University of Georgia and Georgia Tech. And he'd been around a while. So he, so he, uh, he was able to uh, get our foot in some doors. Uh, so you take the support of the administration and you take the imagination uh, and the vision of a, of a, a good athletic director uh, we were able to, to get rooted very quickly. Now, none of us, and I would predict were she here, Betty Siegel would tell you the same thing. We knew that one day Kennesaw State would be a much bigger institution than 5,000. Mm -hmm. But we had no idea that it would happen so quickly because it was just almost like we'd go from five thousand to ten thousand to twelve thousand to seventeen thousand to twenty four thousand and it just kept going we didn't have any idea that was going to happen and so when the growth spurt started uh coach landrum had just retired dave waples became the director of athletics here uh he'd had experience in the state system and he'd also been a uh, a conference commissioner and uh, he was the athletic director here for 24 years. And Dave was a, to call Dave conservative is an understatement. Uh, he was uh, very, very, very guarded of the, uh, the finances and the physical soundness of the uh, athletic department. Uh, you know, we'd have to go in and argue and fight with him if we wanted to buy a new softball. And, uh, and, and we, you know, and I, Dave is, uh, still lives here in the area, and I'm happy to report to everybody in the Owl Nation. He's still cheap. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but he uh, let us grow, but did not let us grow faster than perhaps we could have or should have. Uh, we maintained a philosophy that we were going to make certain that every team uh, that Kennesaw State University fielded in competition was going to have an opportunity to be very competitive. And he stuck to that plan. We, we've never really had a sport here uh, just to say we have it, mm -hmm. if you will. If we enter it, he's going to try to win. He's very, Dave was a very competitive person, as was Coach Landrum. And I, I do not believe that uh, we ever sent a team out to play that did not have the resources it needed to be competitive. Mm -hmm. The coaches were paid as well as they could be paid. The scholarship money was uh, issued very fairly and very equitably. And, uh, and so off we went. And uh, the, it's just been a wonderful thing to watch it grow and evolve over the years. I mean, I've, seen it all. I've worked for every athletic director that's been here. I've worked for every president except for the first one. Uh, and so uh, it's just been a, a wonderful thing to watch. For someone that's, let's say, a Kennesaw State football fan that's tuning in, and I reference Kennesaw State football because it's an infant program. So for someone that's been a fan of Kennesaw State for five, seven years, less than a decade, 
why does knowing our history and our start matter? Well, Nolan, I happen to think that history in general is very important. I think in any endeavor, you need to know who you are and where you came from uh, to help give context and uh, perspective to where you are or where you're trying to go. And uh, I'm also a traditionalist. I believe uh, there is something noble about knowing your legacy. Uh, tradition is a is a great thing that is uh, slowly becoming less and less utilized in college athletics. But uh, college athletics is usually generational. As a kid, you start out going to the ball games with your dad and your grandfather, maybe. Then the next thing you know is your son and your dad, and maybe still your grandfather. Uh, it's generational. It, it, it gives continuity. And when we brought football on, it, that just became a bigger uh, stage for us to uh, compete and show, uh, you know, the NCAA world that we were uh, here to stay, that we're not going to be a, a, a school that just stands still. Um, you know, there was a lot of studying and a lot of discussions that went on about bringing football to campus. Uh, it's the third time that it's been studied. The first two times it was felt as if it was not the time to do it. Uh, but uh, fortunately back... When uh, was that done, those first two? The first two, uh, one of them, as I recollect, was done in the uh, early 2000s. And prior to that, uh, one was done in the mid-90s. Uh, as I said, when Dave Wakels replaced uh, Coach Landrum, he, he, one thing he shared with Coach Landrum was his dream of one day having football at Kennesaw State. Because if you're in the southeastern part of the United States and your school doesn't have football, a lot of people in the community, a lot of people on the campus feel like the athletic department's incomplete. It's just part of our heritage, if you will, uh, in the South to uh, to play football. Uh, it's, uh, it's you know an oft-told joke about the most important sport that, that this school has is football, and the second most important is spring football. <laughs> and this year we're actually going to live it, <laughs> and we're going to live it backwards. We're going to have spring football, and then we're going to have fall football. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that is, uh, you know, that's been very interesting and, uh, we've had, uh, what I consider very successful upload to football here at Kennesaw State. Uh, I coached for 26 years on the field as a head coach and, uh, other than the endeavors that I had as a coach and working with the, the tremendous group of players and people that I had around me every day, the, the football upload is perhaps the thing that I'm most proud of. What role did you have in that in looking back at the birth of football here? What are some fun stories about trying to plan and, and well, bring that to life? <laughs> well, the first thing was, okay, we, uh, uh, we had a football uh, study start just beginning 
as Dave Waples uh, retires. And uh, I was the interim athletic director for about, I guess, about six months or something like that it took to do the search. And uh, I want to be very, very clear uh, that uh, before I start talking about my role, is that uh, none of the football stuff would have happened without the support of then President Daniel Papp and uh, the leadership that Coach Vince Dooley gave us as he kind of led our, our study uh, and the imagination and the, uh, and the enthusiasm that uh, then Athletic Director Vaughn Williams injected into the mission of football, of making football come alive. I want to be sure that, that they understand that credit is undeniable and uh, it was a tremendous upload. My role, uh, I retired from coaching in 2013 and it paralleled perfectly with the upload of football because we, were, we knew that we were going to have to get serious about it and we were going to have to go fast and, but we had to do it right and well, and we had to be sure we could pay for it, you know. So I was involved in uh, just about every phase of the, uh, uh, the capital projects that brought football to campus, from uh, finding a place that we might house the coaches and the team and the things that they need uh, to uh, the uh, creation of press boxes at Fifth Third Bank Stadium uh, to uh, finding the uh, infrastructural needs that the stadium had to have in order to be able to host football because uh, the stadium was originally built for uh, as a soccer stadium and it didn't have some of the things that you just simply have to have uh, if you're going to play football. And uh, the stadium was also built with a very, 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 very small, uh, poorly placed press box. And so it was my job to take a budget that was provided to me uh, and try to make that happen. We had done studies throughout, throughout the, uh, the months of summer 13 uh, of what type of structures could we possibly build and get get away with over there at uh, at the stadium but the studies showed us that the price of doing so would be so so high that it'd be very very difficult for us to pull it off so we had to go to plan B rather quickly and that was on the fly too all of this is just like you know so we, uh, the football, the head football coach search began. And as it began, it began without us having any place to put them. I mean, we didn't have one office for football. And uh, so it was my job, okay, go out, let's find a place where we might can house football. And, uh, and in the meantime, uh, Vaughn Williams had worked out a deal where Coach Bohannon and his first little batch of staff, they actually worked out of the offices that sat on top of Fifth Third Bank here on Chastain Road, just down the street. 
So we had had Coach Bohannon and his crew working in the bank, and uh, I'm out roaming around, like you know, trying to find a place to squat. <laughs> we, you know, and we got word that there was uh, three contiguous uh, warehouses that were up for lease. Uh, kind of across the street here near Chastain Point. Uh, and uh, so I went over and looked at them, and these were three. They were not connected. I mean, they were all separate, three separate warehouses, and they were filthy, and they were just horrible. And and it was just, uh, you know, but I said, you know what? Uh, if we took down this wall and we took down that wall, or we modified this or we modified that we probably could do it okay and then so i got paired up with a a great architect uh by the name of jim croft he owns a firm here in town and i would sit down and talk to jim and i had him a list of everything we needed in the building mm -hmm. and with myself and coach brian bohannon and people from his staff, including Jay Bailey, we started shaping those warehouses into what has become the coaches' offices and the uh, the weight room and conditioning area over there. Uh, but Jim took our ideas and applied his uh, imagination, and and he started drawing. And it was, uh, it started coming, oh, yeah, that looks good, but well, we need to move this over here, we need to move that over there. And he was great to work with, because he understood he was working with people that don't know a thing about architecture, but at the same time, they kind of know what they need in terms of to be able to function as a football program. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian Bohannon was great, giving us knowledge on that. Uh, Vaughn Williams uh, had great ideas on uh, what we might can and can't do in that area as well. But it was my job to be the, the boots on the ground day in and day out with the architect and the builder. So as Jim starts putting together a, uh, a schematic drawing of it, uh, 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 there's a, a wonderful uh, construction firm here in Metro Atlanta called Albion. Uh, and uh, they were assigned to this project with us. Uh, they do a lot of work in the state system. And, uh, and you got to understand, I knew none of these people when I first started that project, but they very quickly became partners. And Croft and uh, Mr. Brian Newsom over at Albion uh, became great, just great partners with our athletic department. Because I could talk to them specifically and tell them, no, I don't have that kind of money. No, we can't do that. You know, that. And then uh, another one of my uh, jobs was to maximize uh, the use of resources that the institution might be able to give us. I'm not going to get into all the convoluted uh, protocols, procedures, and laws that go into what state money can be used for or not be used for. Uh, but I worked with uh, the then Vice President for Finance on, on the campus, uh, Dr. Andy Hines, and with John Anderson, who was then the head of 
planning services or building and planning here on campus. And, you know, we'd say, you know, well, we can't build that, but we could give you chairs or we could give you desks because those are loose items. They could be picked up and taken anywhere you need them to be. You know, uh, that saved us money, you know, so we could take money that we had to set aside for stuff like that and pour it back into the construction. So we got the, uh, the coaches' offices up and going pretty well and pretty quickly. Uh, and it's basically the same thing you see there now. Uh, and uh, it's just full of people now. Uh, in the first few days, there was only about five people in that big old place. And then coaches started getting hired and staff started being added. And next thing you know, it's that big operation that we see now over there. Uh, as the as the building as the coaches offices uh, were built, we started looking at the stadium, and uh, we uh, went over there and we started looking at suites. And uh, there's a very limited number of suites in the stadium, and then we saw the press box. Now, as you well know, uh, but the the listeners don't know is that the original press box for Fifth Third Bank Stadium, because it was a soccer pitch, was all the way down on the south end of the uh, suite area. The, the room now that is the uh, where the clock operators and all that, that was the press box, that was it. That was all they had, you know. And the number of people that you've got to have to do stats for, uh, for football games, uh, the, the uh, radio and television stuff, and there was just no way it could fit. I mean, phys fiscally, it would not fit in there. So we had to start trying to figure out what we could do about a press box and what we could do about making, uh, you know, the place go. So, uh, like I said, we did some studies on what we might could build or not build. There's a structure and uh, our, our best efforts we just couldn't afford what we were doing. And uh, so I was with some folks. We were walking around up there one day and lamenting about a press box. And Fifth Third Bank Stadium at the top of the concourse, uh, it has these little wells where our outdoor suites are now. They're little sections that are looked out overlooking the field, but there's no chairs or anything there. But we bring stuff in, you know, for, for suites. And I got the notion, or we got the notion, uh, that, uh, well, instead of having one giant superstructure, why don't we build three separate elements in the three center bays of that place? And that'll be our press box, or press boxes. Uh, and so... We started looking at how we're going to build them. Just that, you know, and then somebody uh, uh, come up with the idea that I want they want us to go up to a place in uh, up in uh, Blairsville, Georgia, that made prefab buildings that didn't necessarily look like prefab buildings. And I said, okay, I'll go. Whatever, you know. So I go up there and I. We meet and then we go back into the, where they build stuff and look at stuff. And I 
saw uh, this big room, with, like on the second level of the warehouse, and I thought, man, that was a, I bet that was hard to build to get you that enough space to overlook this whole operation. I said, I guess y'all, you know, y'all were very lucky. They said, no, we built it. I said, what do you mean you built it? And it was one of those freestanding units. And uh, it did look nothing like a trailer. It looked nothing like a, uh, this, that, and the other. And so that's how the, uh, the three sections of the press box were conceived. So we start, we, we work with them, we get a price, we tell everybody everything we need in there. So they build it and they're, you know, putting in all the conduit you need to run all of the cables and the stuff you got to have to make press boxes go and everything, you know, going great and all this kind of stuff. And then we ask, okay, where can we tap into the fiber? And the uh, people who were running the stadium at the time told us, well, there's not any. What do you mean there's not any? You got fiber all around the, the stadium. No, we don't. So I had a then I learned I had a stadium that only had fiber and electricity, fi well, fiber and, uh, and stuff that we could use uh, for communications was in the suites and then their offices, the ticket areas. There was no con not even any conduit in the ground that went around the entire stadium. So the locker rooms had no fiber. The, uh, now, the, the offices and the uh, locker rooms that were in the north end zone, they had fiber. But the entire east side, the entire south side of the stadium had no fiber. And there was a gap uh, of fiber even on the north uh, even on the northeast end. So okay, the one thing I know is you got to have a clock on both ends of the stadium. You got to have uh, communication with clocks that can be in the locker rooms. You got to have all of these things to make the stadium work. We don't have any conduit in the ground. So we literally uh, had to tear up part of the concourse to run fiber, run the conduit for the fiber. You know, you know the conduit is just a, is a hollow pipe. Mm -hmm. So we ran it underground where we need to run it underground. You can go over there right now and see on the, on the east side, the conduit is running underneath the stands, elevated. Hmm. And we dropped it down into each locker room. And uh, so, okay, now we got, now we got, uh, we got conduit in the ground, but uh, we don't have any cable. We don't have any wire. And I, you know, even even I knew we needed that. And uh, so we got some people to help us get that done. Uh, and uh, the stadium came alive, and we got the certificate of occupancy for that stadium. Uh, the morning or no, the day before our first ever spring game. That's how close it was. And, but we brought it home and we, we got it. And uh, so as you can see, and, and then I also, I'm um, changing gears completely. And this is very, very choppy, I know. You'll have your work cut out for you editing this. 
Uh, I also was doing the scheduling for football, Coach Bohannon, Jay Bailey, and I. But I was the administrator that was handling scheduling. And so we built our first schedule, uh, and uh, we had it in place by 2014. And we started playing football in 2015. And the football program has just uh, grown, and it uh, is, in my opinion, way ahead of schedule in terms of where they would be in terms of competitive and, uh, and, in, and on solid ground. And uh, it's just been a, just a heck of a good time doing that. I want to come back to that in a moment, but following up on one of your stories there on the history of football, what fun memories and stories do you have with some of the people that you worked in those early days, whether it be Coach Vince Dooley, who was involved in the process as well? Uh, early on with Coach Bohannon, was there a day where y'all looked at each other and thought, are we going to get to this thing? Yeah. Is this going to happen? I do have a great story on that. Atlanta Air Charter has been safely operating a fleet for over 15 years. Atlanta Air Charter's passion for aviation has led them to form the Atlanta Air Academy to train, mentor, and provide a pathway to prepare well-trained pilots. For more information on the Atlanta Air Academy, please visit www.atlantaairacademy.com. Available by phone 24-7, Atlanta Air Charter is a proud supporter of Kennesaw State Athletics and is waiting for your call. You're listening to Inside the Nest, the official podcast of Kennesaw State Athletics, today with Scott Whitlock. Scott's in the midst of telling us some of the history of Kennesaw State football from its origins to where we are now. We continue the dialogue with Scott Whitlock and KSU football here on Inside the Nest. Uh, it's an off-told story, even by Coach Dooley. Uh, back in the spring, late spring of 2000, year 2000, I turned Coach Dooley down. Uh, he offered me the, the softball job at Georgia. And I, I turned it down because Kennesaw State, by then, had become home. Uh, I was very, very happy. I was flat broke when I got into coaching, so money didn't didn't sway my decisions, still don't. I mean, money's just a tool. I, it don't make you who you are or who you're not. Uh, but uh, so Dr. Papp, Dan Papp, president of Kennesaw State at that time, told me that I had to go to a meeting with him on a uh, Saturday morning at a lawyer's office in Roswell. And it was the, uh, it was the Saturday of the 2013, or two, no, excuse me, the 2012 uh, SEC championship football game in Atlanta. And, uh, and he and I, and then the vice president, the then vice president for development, uh, Wes Wicker, we all take off and we go to this place in Roswell. And I asked Dr. Papp if we're going over there, I go, why are we going? And he told me that uh, we were meeting with Vince Dooley to uh, to discuss him possibly becoming our uh, chairperson of our football feasibility committee. So we we show up over there, and like I said, Vince Dooley, I turned him down. 
14 years, 13 years before that, I'm saying, you know, this guy's going to hate me. I mean, he's going to think, I mean, I don't know. But see, he was one of my heroes. I'm from just outside of Athens, Georgia. I mean, I grew up on Vince Dooley, Larry Munson, and Georgia football. Okay. And uh, so we're sitting there in the office, and we hear this people coming in the lobby there, and we hear this commotion. And in comes Coach Dooley with his wife, Barbara. And Barbara Dooley is almost as famous as Vince Dooley is. And she's just a huge over-the-top personality and uh, wonderful lady. And uh, so Dr. Papp is introducing Coach and Ms. Dooley to everybody. And they get to me, and Dr. Papp says this is uh, our uh, uh, one of our – Associate ADs, and this is Scott Whitlock. And when he said that, Barbara Dooley took her fist and hit me in the shoulder. And I kind of stared at her. She said, you're the only coach that ever turned Vince down. And it broke the ice. You know, she did it in a very funny way, you know. And, uh, and then Coach Dooley shook my hand and kind of put his hand on my shoulder and said, it's good to see you again, Scott. Look, you know, da da da. But I thought that was so funny that I mean, uh, everybody's always heard how vicious Miss um, Dooley will defend her her son when Derek was a coach. You know the great story of her calling the sports talk show in Knoxville, and uh, and she was always a tremendous uh, defender of Coach Dooley through his years, and even even after he'd retired and I was out of the equation and Georgia softball was doing wonderful. She still wanted me to know she didn't appreciate me turning <laughs> Coach Dooley down. But having a chance to work with Coach Dooley for several years as we brought football alive was, for a kid from Athens, Georgia, I mean, that was a thrill. That was just an absolute thrill to get to do that. And uh, we uh, – I'll never forget the day we had the, uh, the report. We were going to announce the report of Coach Dooley's committee. And, of course, the committee was going to recommend that we bring football to Kennesaw State University. And you can probably find this somewhere on film, but it's the funniest thing in the world. Coach Dooley gets up, and he's reading, he's reading, and he goes, as he's speaking to the crowd, we got a good number of people in the convocation. I've seen the pictures of this recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says, after much study and deliberation, we feel that it would be uh, appropriate and good to bring football to the campus of Kansas State University. And I'm just, I'm standing down on the end in a doorway, and I go, he didn't just do that, did he? And then he caught himself and laughed, Kennesaw State University. <laughs> but you, everybody just kind of just kind of had a, like a big drop when he first said Kansas State. <laughs> but uh, but he, uh, he, he rode with the punches real well with that. That was funny. But, uh, and then Bo and I... Uh, Bo and I got a unique relationship. Uh, uh, you know, Bo is a very serious individual, and he's intense, and he's very good at what he does. And you know me, Nolan. I'm a golf ball hit inside a phone booth, and you know I I'm always up to something. Or T- to affirm Scott's statement here, just so everyone knows, on the outside of his door, typically people have 
their uh, title in a placard out there. It doesn't say Scott Whitlock. It, what does it say, Scott? Wiley Coyote. With a picture of Wiley Coyote. Okay, continue. When we had the uh, the grand opening of the uh, the coaches' offices, you know, our athletic communications group wanted to set up a backdrop up for Bo when he first uh, did a, a live filmed thing from his uh, office. And Bo and I had known each other a little while, not too long. And uh, they took all of the national championship trophies that uh, Kennesaw State had won over the years. Uh, there was one for soccer, one for men's basketball, two for baseball, and the, uh, the two that we'd been fortunate enough to win in softball. And they, he, they used the national championship trophies as a backdrop behind Bo. And so uh, the thing got started, and uh, they did a great job and all that was over with, and everybody's kind of scattering. And uh, I thought I would do something funny or cute. So I picked up my two, my team's two national championship trophies, and I went down to Bo's office, same office he's in right now, and I set my two trophies on his coffee table, and I sat down. And uh, he comes walking in, and his eyes get big. I don't know if anybody's ever seen Bohan. His eyes can get real big. And uh, he goes, well, what'd you bring them in here for? I said, until you've got two of them, don't say nothing to me. <laughs> and he laughed, and it broke the ice, and he still kids me about that to this day, and he still gripes and grunts about <laughs> that this day. And, uh, uh, but... Uh, but that, that's kind of mine and Bo's relationship. You know, I'll, I'll pick up the phone and call Bo and go, hey, you want to hang out today? But Brian Bohanna don't hang out, <laughs> you know. But I'll, I'll just do that to rattle his cage and, uh, or whatever. But uh, we have always had a good working relationship. I think the fact that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a retired coach was helpful in us making that relationship uh, established early on. And I tell you all that because... Uh, I had to have him and Jay help introduce me and, nav and navigate football scheduling. And so we actually sat down and devised a strategy. This is what we want the season, the schedule to look like in year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking that things would, you know, gradually progress. And, uh, you know, we, we just, you know, we did what we thought we, we needed to do. And uh, we had no idea that by year three we would be uh, extremely competitive, <laughs> you know, uh, and have just taken off like a rocket. So, you know, the schedule, football schedules, if folks don't know, by and large are done four, five, six, seven years in advance, particularly the non-conference stuff. And... Uh, we knew that in year one and year two that all of our non-conference games needed to be games that we could be competitive in and and uh, and be smart about and, and all those things. And we did, and it was a very deliberate strategy. A lot of the, the lot of uh, casual fans didn't understand why we were playing some smaller schools and stuff like that. Well, Bo was was trying to create a culture. And part of, part of creating that culture is winning or being competitive. 
you know, getting after it. And, uh, and so we did that. And, uh, the strategy by and large has, has worked great. Although I, uh, I nearly lost my life one night. Uh, I can't remember if it, I think it was year two. Uh, we had to block a, a, uh, a field goal with less than a minute to go to beat shorter. And, uh, Bo has never let me forget the fact that I, I was the one that scheduled Shorter to come in and play the, to play his team uh, uh, the first game of the year of, uh, I think it was 16. And, uh, well, you know, I, boy, and I got to admit, I was sitting in the stands with, with some folks, and, and I was a little bit puckered up, too. I <laughs> said, we're down there getting ready to kick that field goal because I knew I was going to have to face somebody. And... Uh, but uh, luckily, we had a, 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 a edge rusher come through and block the kick. Not only that, he scooped and scored on it. And so it looked like we beat them by nine when we were about to lose to them by one. Mm. So uh, it, uh, it all worked out well. Well, Coach, I think this provides a nice segue to go into the sport that you won national championships in, in softball. What do you see in the football program now that in your experiences having won national championships being a, com a top competitive team in your classification for every step that you've taken Kennesaw State do you see this football program now and I ask that because it goes back to that question earlier of why I think history is important at Kennesaw State mm -hmm. because I think this is a school that people need to know if they're new has won national championships and I firmly believe will win more national championships you're listening to Inside the Nest, the official podcast of Kennesaw State. Please go on ahead and subscribe to this podcast while you're there on your favorite app. Leave us a rating and a comment on what you think of Inside the Nest. As we continue the conversation with Scott, we steer away from football and now start to move towards softball and big moments from his softball career and really what matters to him still to this day. Before then, here's a message from Chewy's as we continue Inside the Nest. Holy hand-rolled tortillas, does Chewy's know Tex-Mex or what? We're making our fresh tortillas all day long, perfect for wrapping up Chewy's famous Chicka Chicka Boom Boom enchiladas. Stuffed with house-roasted chicken, smothered in spicy, cheesy Boom Boom sauce. Better have a handshake and fresh limerita handy, just saying. So gather up your friends because you can dine in at Chewy's or get it to go. We even have meal kits available for pickup or delivery at order.chewy's.com. Locations in Kennesaw and Perimeter. Find us at Chewies.com. See y'all at Chewies. I agree completely. I mean, if if a team or a uh, athletic department does not have a philosophy or a culture that is based around doing all of the little things right in order to give yourself a chance to win on game day, uh, then you're... Uh, you're just destined for failure and disappointment. The, the one thing that we did in, when I was the coach of the softball program is I realized that it, if I've got better players, I'm going to be a better coach. So if I had any gift as a coach, I could evaluate and pick people. Now notice I use the word people. I didn't say players. Uh, I think it's very, very easy to, to go out and recruit and, and, 
and uh, evaluate a young person on whether they can they have the skills requisite to play the sport they play. Uh, what's the tough part is is to find out is this person willing to do the things that he or she has to do uh, in the classroom uh, socially uh, and pay the price to be a champion when you're working uh, and practicing and doing all things that, that come with being a part of a college program. And so we built a culture very quickly based on that, that you're going to have to be willing to make personal sacrifices in order to help the team as a group go forward. And, and I did not exclude our coaching staffs from that either, including me. Uh, it's very, very simple. I remember uh, many times telling the team, now look, you're never going to read about your coach being up and out and on a Friday or Saturday night getting stopped for DUI or getting stopped for this, that, and the other and doing those things. I'm going to protect the program and, and all of those aspects. So I, I don't expect you to do it either. But if you do make a mistake, be sure that I hear it from you before I hear it from someone else. And I'm a big believer in that. I, mistakes are going to happen. People are human and they're going to err. And there are just things that just come with it. You cannot avoid it. But it's usually how you handle or don't handle uh, mistakes that cost you. Whether it be an error on the playing field, uh, not being as prepared as you need to be for a, an exam, or if you run into some a situation off the field. But I found that successful people will own their mistakes and not try to give them away or blame someone else. They will come forward, let the right people know what has occurred, and then be respectful of whatever decision that might have to be made as a result of it. And, uh, and we, we required that of everybody that touched our athletic uh, area over there in softball, uh, right down to the trainers. I mean, I had student trainers practically my entire career. And uh, uh, I would tell them, you know, we, we just can't do something that's going to mess us up because uh, we, uh, we have a, a tradition here of paying the price. And the one thing that I believe that our football program does that's similar to softball, which football and softball are definitely apples and oranges, uh, but uh, they pay the price. They do all. They do everything they can to uh, create a great culture, to uh, to require um, sacrifice, uh, team before self, all of those things. And those are not accidents. And you don't do that by picking the, the right player to come be in your program or the right coach to be in your program. You do that by picking the right people to come be part of that organization. And Brian and his crew have done a great job of that, a great job of that. And I'd like to think that for my time on the field, uh, we did a good job of that. You know, and as you said, winning breeds winning. I can, I know that from firsthand. Uh, we 
on the softball end, we won many, 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 many games because we just expected to win. And pretty soon, your opponent starts expecting you to win too. <laughs> so they let, they let win slip through their fingers. Uh, I don't know how many times uh, I've seen a throw in a late inning cause us to score two runs and take a lead or something like that. Uh, but uh, we, uh, uh, the culture, the expectations, uh, that's where it all starts. It really does. Looking back on your years as a softball coach, you know, people will remember Scott Whitlock as a national champion coach for those that mm -hmm. weren't involved in this softball program. But for those players that were underneath you, how much more does your relationship and the time that you were able to mentor them mean to you compared to a championship ring? The rings are, are bobbles. Uh, I'm not trying to ah, golly, shucks, try to dismiss it, but my thrill was working with, with, with the young people. Uh, I know what impact my coach made on me, several coaches made on me, and uh, I wanted to uh, be sure that I, uh, in my own way, showed my players that I cared a great deal about them. Uh, they knew that I was their coach first and foremost, that I had to be more married and more guarded of the program than I could one individual. But yet at the same time, I had to let each individual know they were important. So I feel like we did a good job with that. Uh, you know, but it all started out with the, the, the players I coached by and large, by a high majority, were excellent people, much better people than players. And I coached 50 plus All-Americans. And uh, they just were a good group of individuals that made coaching easy. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun to hit, catch, run, throw. I mean, there, there, there's, there's nothing new under the sun on that. Uh, the basics of the fundamentals have not changed for a long time. Uh, they're tweaked, but they're not changed. Uh, but getting people to commit to doing the little things to maximize their skill sets in hit, catch, run, throw, to maximize their skill sets in going to school, to maximize their skill sets in being a, a uh, asset to society and to grow and become uh, the, uh, the young woman that they wish to become during college. That was at the hub of everything I did. Uh, there's a lot of players that I've coached, and, I, and I'm blessed. I mean, I still have great relationships with just about all of my uh, former players. Mm -hmm. uh, the player-coach relationship can be love-hate a lot of times, you know. And uh, I often told my players that, look, we will we'll laugh and we'll reminisce the day after you play your last game here. But until you play your last game here and you graduate from here, 
my whole deal is going to be about making you better. You know, I'm your coach, not your, not your buddy. You've got buddies. You've got friends that will go out and have fun with you. I'm the guy that uh, is going to try to stir you in the right way, and I'm the guy that you call at 2 in the morning if you've got a real problem. That's my role. And I'm, you know, and, and coach, you know, uh, but uh, they made it so easy. I owe everything I've ever accomplished in college athletics to the players, to the, the young people who, uh, and their families who took a chance on me. Uh, because when I, uh, when I took the reins here way back in the mid eighties, uh, I was an unproven commodity. I mean. They didn't know if I could coach a lick or not. I don't guess I did either. <laughs> but uh, the fact that we got off to a quick start and hit the ground running, uh, it helped. And, and winning uh, obviously makes you attractive to uh, better players. You know, good players want to play with other good players. And so we were able to do that. So I'm very proud of that. Well, Scott, as I sit here in your office, you can't help but notice every time I come in that you've got a beautiful piece of artwork here, and in it you're holding a young girl. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what stands out more in this artwork, why it's so nice, if it's the, this look on her face or the fact that you do look a little younger. I'll say you look a little younger <laughs> here in this artwork. But that little girl is Lexi. And yes, that's Lexi Kaiser. That's my hero. And a lot of people outside of Kennesaw State that are in the Atlanta area with softball, they're familiar with the term Lexi's Day. Yeah. To this day, now unfortunately we didn't get to do it this past year with COVID, but Lexi's Day yeah. is going to come back. To this day, Lexi's Day is a tradition that is marked at Kennesaw State. It's circled, it's planned for, it's not missed. Yeah. What's the latest with Lexi and how do you look forward to continuing celebrating her and the tradition of Kennesaw State giving back to others in your time after retiring from here? Well, little Lexi Kaiser uh, is, uh, I think, now 17 years old. Uh, we, uh, we met well over a decade ago. I, I think she was maybe three or four when I first met Lexi. And... Uh, Lexi was born a triplet. Her brother and sister are, are healthy and can do everything they, they want to do in life. And Lexi was born with cerebral palsy. And uh, every day for Lexi uh, is a little bit of a challenge. But she and her family do it with such grace and such a positive attitude that you can't help be moved and and stirred when you are around them. But the way the Lexi Day thing started, very simple. Lexi's father, Chip Kaiser, uh, was my t-shirt guy. That's who I bought my practice t-shirts from. Uh, back in the day, coaches did, did their own purchasing, they did their own inventory, they did, well, we did everything. And uh, I was down picking up a, uh, a thing of uh, t-shirts for, uh, for 
for practice for our practice gear and just one of those comments and questions you ask people uh you know how's your folks doing you know and uh, chip said well everybody's doing all right doing pretty good lexi gets uh uh, frustrated when sometimes because her brother and sister can go out and do and I stopped him I go what are you talking about I had no idea that Chip had a daughter that had cerebral palsy and uh, and he told me the story and I said well what what frustration I said well we just got the uh, the other two kids bicycles and it really upsets her when they can go out and ride and play and she can't and Nolan I, I kid you not uh, if I've ever had something come down uh, from above and and shake me to the core about the lack of the things that I was doing uh, hearing him talk about that little girl wanting a bicycle uh, it just, I don't know what it did to me because I immediately started thinking about when I was a kid, my bicycle was so important to me. That was my, that was my, my wheels. That's how I got around town. I was from a very rural area and we rode bicycles every day to go anywhere we could go. I took it for granted. You know, you just had a bicycle. I mean, you ride your bike. And here we are, this, this, this little girl who has all these problems and the only thing she wants to do is go out and play. And this is all happening in real time now. And I go, well, do they make bicycles that kids like Lexi can use or set in or whatever? And Chip said, yeah, but they're, they're really expensive. They cost about almost $2,000. And I don't remember if it was immediate, but it was, it was within a minute of him saying that. But I said, I want you to order that bike. I said, the Kennesaw State softball team gonna, is going to buy your daughter that bike. And uh, he said, what? I said, I want you to order the bike. Kennesaw State softball is going to pay you for that bike. And... Uh, so I left there and I'm thinking, well, I think I just committed $2,000 to somebody and I don't have $2,000. Uh, but I went to practice that day and I, and I told the players that story and to see the looks on their faces, I mean, tearing up and uh, showing emotion. They were 100% all in, like you dang straight we're going to buy that kid that bicycle. That is the kind of people I coached. You see. Do you... And I'm sorry. No, I, I apologize to interrupt, but I, I kind of want to bring this up. Do you think it was providential that, as a kid, bikes meant a lot to you? You said you had a little job as a mechanic fixing Schwinn bikes, <laughs> and the fact that when that story was brought up, uh -huh. Lexi wanted a bicycle. That seems to be a theme. Do you think that was probably... I, you know, I've never thought about that. But it could. Uh, anyway, before I get to telling you a great story. Mm -hmm. uh, so, my players now, we decided on having a Lexi day. And we were just going to pass the helmet. 
before the game, I, uh, you know, and raised money. Well, not only did we raise enough money for the, uh, uh, for the bicycle, we uh, raised enough, we raised some money to be able to put into uh, a foundation that somebody else had already created for uh, Lexi. And, uh, and that's how Lexi Day became a tradition because Lexi's family uh, were the ones that came to me and said, we want to have, we want to keep having Lexi Day, but we want to have it so that Lexi can kind of play it forward where she could give a gift to another young person who suffers like she does mm -hmm. uh, and faces the challenges. And so for the past 12, 13 years, I don't know how many years it's been now, we, uh, we have Lexi Day and uh, Lexi uh, gets the, uh, the opportunity before a game to present a young person with something they need whether it be a bicycle, we did that several times, an iPad, or whether it's, uh, you know, we one time we, uh, we honored a, a school that touches these young people, and this, the school needed a lot of different equipment, you know, for their date and dad operations, and we donated the money that year to that school. So we, uh, we've done a lot of cool things, but, and so the Lexi Day thing is simply me uh, it started out as me just, I mean, really being sh shaken by the fact that I had had a, a platform that I could have helped other people maybe contribute, give, learn to give, learn to care thing, and I'd not been using it. And uh, so I've been playing catch up with that because I went about, uh, I went about 15, 16 years not doing that. And I should have been doing that from day one as a coach to realize that uh, uh, we're blessed to, to do this. And you can't take for granted the ability to, to walk, mm -hmm. to ride a bicycle, things of that nature. Now, you ask about the providence of me working with bicycles and, and it leading to uh, this and that and the other. I got to tell you a funny story about Lexi's bicycle. We purchased the bicycle and it came in a box, unassembled. And so now we got to put this thing together, you know. And uh, Roger Kaiser, who was a very, very, very dear friend of mine, is Lexi's grandfather. He was the first uh, basketball All-American that Georgia Tech ever had back in the early 60s. Uh, Coach Kaiser, myself, and Chip, and the most important piece of this story is uh, Roger's brother, retired Colonel Van Kaiser, was there at Chip's house, and we were going to put the bike together. Well, <laughs> we're all pitching in, doing a little bit of this, that, and the other. And uh, so, and Van Kaiser, again, Colonel Kaiser, he... Uh, He's a take charge kind of dude, and he's just saying, well, I'll do this. We'll do it that. Why aren't you doing this? Why don't we do it that way? We don't do it. You know. Now, none of them had any knowledge that I had had some training about bicycles. They didn't know what I knew or what I didn't know. And so, so I, the more Van went on, uh, the more I uh, 
I just let him do it. And then we got to the place about the brakes. And they had like brakes just like you see on a, on a bicycle today. You know, you squeeze the handle, the brake mechanism, you know, you know, collapses onto the tire and stops the wheels. Mm -hmm. But those things are meticulous and you got to adjust them just right. You got to know that you got to stretch the cables and you got to do this and you got to do that. So I'm watching Van with this thing. And I mean, he, he looks like he's trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle with five pieces missing, you know, and, uh, I say, here, let me, let me, let me, let me try you. I said, yeah, let me try. Okay. And so I grab a, a wrench and a pair of pliers and a screwdriver and I bada beep, bada boop, bada boom. I got the brakes on and the brakes working. And he looked at me, Van Kaiser gave me that look like, why were you able to do that so quickly? I said, oh, I forgot to tell you, I, uh, I'm a certified bicycle mechanic. <laughs> but you were having so much fun being in charge, I just thought I'd let you. <laughs> and then he got mad because I just sat there most of the night <laughs> and just watched them put the thing together. Roger got a kick out of it. He got mad to it. Because, but I just sat back and watched them have so much fun with those two guys trying to put that bike together. Mm. That, uh, but they did a good job, though. <laughs> They, they, they did a pretty good job on it. I just kind of buffed and polished it a little bit. We'd like to take this time to thank our proud partner, Coca-Cola, for being the beverage choice of KSU Athletics events. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. And here's today's Wellstar Wellness tip of the podcast. Be mindful of your mental health this winter. Each day, try to devote at least 15 minutes to stress reduction through exercise or meditation. Taking time for you can help boost your spirits and keep you feeling positive all season long. For more mental health tips... Visit wellstar.org. We move ahead to the last segment of Inside the Nest with Scott Whitlock, Senior Associate AD at Kennesaw State, who's retiring at the end of this month. And you're going to learn something new. You're going to gain an appreciation for someone that you've completely overlooked. And of course, I'm not talking about Scott, but he left me walking away thinking that the next time I turn on the Cartoon Network, which albeit isn't that often, but I come across it, I'm going to think differently of an old classic. You'll find out on Inside the Nest with Scott Whitlock. Speaking of building things, you built an uber-successful softball program at Kennesaw State. A softball or a baseball throwaway. Mike Sansing was doing the same thing with a baseball program at Kennesaw State. What was it like going through the growth process and sustaining success and, and trying to repeat with success with a longtime coach just across the way? Well, Michael Sanzing not only is a very, very special, close friend of mine, in my opinion, he's the best coach that's ever been here at Kennesaw State. Mm. I mean, we're both later in our careers now. He's still on the field. Uh, I chose to go a different route. Uh, but it was easy because Mike and I, you talked about earlier in our conversation how breeding wins, breeding, winning breeds winning. Uh, we decided right away that, that we could accomplish a great deal if we worked together instead of opposites and being jealous of one another or 
why does baseball get this and softball only gets that, that kind of stuff, the trivial stuff that don't matter. Uh, most of the times, anytime there was some type of discrepancy, you could base it on the fact that most of my career, a softball team only had 21 players and a baseball team had between 30 and 35 players. So yeah, they needed more money to travel or yeah, they needed more money for uniforms. It's just common sense, but a lot of people would want to yell and scream about they've got more money than the female sport. And, uh, uh, whereas I'm, this is obviously well before title nine and all the other buzzwords that have come in, uh, to play these days. But Mike and I worked together and we fed off of each other. I mean, when Mike won something big, I made the phone call when, when I won something big, Mike was usually the, among the first to call me. And we decided together, collectively, that we could, we could do something special here because this area is a hotbed for, for uh, the bat and ball sport, whether it be baseball or softball. And so together, uh, in that partnership, we've been able to bring the Bobby Bailey uh, athletic complex to life. We've brought the indoor hitting and pitching area over there to life, working together, not separately, working together. And I think that we were collaborating before people started talking about collaboration. It was just us knowing that, that if, if we work together, we can accomplish more. You know, you can get a lot done if you don't worry about who gets the credit. And, uh, Mike is just, one of those special individuals in life who are just so easy to be around. Like we were together out there for 20 years and, uh, I, I watched him coach and I, and I watched me coach our styles are polar opposites, but, uh, he did it. He didn't try to be anybody but Mike and I didn't try to be anybody but Scott. And we, we worked together very, very well. It, it was helpful to have him there. I don't know if I could have achieved what I achieved if we'd have had a second rate baseball staff over there. I don't know if I could have, uh, it, it did feed off of each other. Well, Scott, I got three strikes for you. I got three more questions to All wrap right. this one up. And I've truly enjoyed hearing these stories. And I think our listeners do as well. I got a bunch more. So anytime you want more of them, just. Well, Just come. I think more of them are in this book that's on your desk right now that I brought in that you gave me a copy. I wasn't expecting all this. Yeah. You're in a memoir. Yeah. I, uh, I wrote a book and it's been out a little bit less than a year now. Uh, the name of it is, uh, I wasn't expecting all this. So you can get it at Amazon. Uh, and, uh, it's just a reflection. It's the book's really a large thank you note to, uh, to everybody that helped make me possible. I've had as little to do with it as anybody. Uh, but uh, the book itself uh, reminisces. A lot of funny stories in that book. There's some stories in there that are very serious. Uh, it's a book that I, that I think is, uh, it's an easy read. It's not Tolstoy, uh, but uh, it's an easy read, but it does make you think from time to time because the stories that I weave and yarn, they're all 100% true, but they, uh, they'll cause you to, to 
think about, yeah, you know, I had somebody that helped me at a certain time in my life when I needed it or uh, mentor me at a certain time in my life when I needed it or somebody who was just absolutely just fun to be around mm -hmm. and have a good time with. I say, I think everybody in life should have one, at least one person that they can just go act a fool with and not be hung up on anything, don't be worried about nothing. I don't mean be a problem for anybody else in the world, but just have somebody that you can go out with, if, if, whether you're going fishing or whether you're going to a ball game or whether you're just talking on the phone, that you can just laugh and enjoy. And, uh, and I'm, I've been blessed to have several people like that in my life. And uh, so the books are easy to read, but uh, it was, it's a, like I said, it's just a, it's a, just a 300 page thank you card. <laughs> what's going to keep you busy in 2021 and beyond? What, well, I'm not going, I'm not, uh, you know, I am retiring, but I'm not going into exile. I'll be around. Uh, Kennesaw State Athletics is my home. You know, and you don't, even if when you have to leave home, you still go back and you go back and you go back and you go back. Uh, I got all sorts of little projects I want to do, uh, uh, but uh, I will not be gone to the standpoint of, you know, you guys will be wondering, is he alive? Is he dead? Or what, what happened to him? I'm not going to be gone far. Even given that, and, and we're, we're happy we're going to be around. I, I look okay. forward to having you around, Scott. Uh -huh. what, what do you want to leave Kennesaw State with? What, what, do you, what do you think is the future? What do you think Kennesaw State needs to remember and know for this point in time right here, right now? I, uh, first of all, I, I am very pleased that the future of Kennesaw State, I think, is very bright and unlimited. We have some very, very intelligent young people, such as yourself. Uh, I always find it very interesting to talk to you, and I've enjoyed uh, doing some uh, ball games with you. You have a very good voice as a play-by-play uh, -play guy, and I've been your analyst once or twice, and uh, we, uh, so we are, we are in good shape with good people within the athletic department. Now, as far as what I hope I leave uh, with the department, I hope I leave the fact that people know that I, uh, I've tried my best every day to give the most I had each day to, uh, to, my, to my job and my time here. Uh, I hope that people do begin to see, you got to remember the athletic department here is still kind of in its adolescence. I mean, it's less than 50 years old. Uh, and so uh, I hope tradition does become a part. I look forward to the day when the stands are full of former baseball players and softball players or former football players or basketball players. I would tell any of the alumni that, are, that might hear this podcast that they they need to come home from time to time and and uh, see what what has been built upon the foundation that they that they laid 
uh, and to take ownership of the department and the various teams that we have here. Be a, be a, uh, a participant with your presence. There's nothing like looking up in the stands and seeing one of your former players there. There's nothing like it. And uh, I, uh, I, the biggest kicks I still get are when some of my players from the early years, uh, they now yell at me, fuss at me about how uh, easier I was late in my career than I was when I coached them. Uh, that I, I, that I'd become an old softy or a, uh, whatever, or why didn't you do this or that, you know, and uh, there's, there's just nothing like it. Uh, and the main thing I want to do is tell every coach and every staff member here to respect the privilege of this. This is a remar remarkable way to make a living. For uh, 36 years, I got paid uh, to do something that I would do on my day off anyway, you know. Respect the privilege, and the biggest privilege you have is working with these young people. You know, when I was growing up as a boy, uh, you know, it was very, very respected uh, if you saw a minister uh, to call him preacher or this, that, and the other. You know, being called pastor this or preacher that or reverend this, that was a pretty high, highly respected honor. Those people were respected uh, the second most significant title I always thought to be that somebody could call you is to be called coach. I mean, if you look at the word coach in itself, that means you're trying to teach others. And uh, I've always tried to respect that moniker. Uh, and I, uh, I made my share of mistakes like anybody else did. But by and large, I... Uh, I feel like we did it the right way, and I've always respected uh, the word coach and the word leadership, uh, and I feel like that's what we have to do. I don't care whether you are the head coach, the assistant coach, a director of finance in our department, or the lowest level person who sets up the gym. We're all teachers. And we're all uh, lucky to be in this profession because it is a very noble and worthwhile profession, I think. I think so too. Scott, thank you so much for your time. And even though I've been here a short while, I've learned one thing, and you left Kennesaw State better than you found it. Yeah. And I think that says a lot. Thank well, you. I appreciate it. I'm going to tell you one more story. You mentioned it earlier about Wally Coyote being on my door. Mm -hmm. And I've got these on my desk. I have these little laminated cards with Wally Coyote's picture and name under it. And the reason I have that is Wally Coyote is a huge failure, but he never quits trying. If you think back to all the Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons, he never catches that Roadrunner. <laughs> he gets blown up. He gets run over by a truck or a train. Uh, he falls off a cliff. But you always see him get up 
and try to go and do it again and try to, you know, never quit, never say die attitude that he had. And over the years when I've had people or and athletes come in my office and really be going through a difficult time or they're about to give up uh, or they're about to quit on themselves or their self-esteem is at a low point, I'll reach out and I'll grab one of these and I'll, I'll give it to them and they'll look at it and they'll ask me, you know, what is this all about? Because why are you giving me this? That's an odd gift. I just said, I want you to stick it somewhere and I want you to understand something. That is the biggest loser you'll ever see in your life, but he never quits. He never, ever quits and gives up. Therefore, he keeps living. And I want to be sure that these young people and even you young bucks in here know that half of success is just your willingness never to quit and never to give up. Just keep going. Even when it's rock bottom, keep going. And I can't think of anything more rock bottom than the coyote crawling out from under a rock, <laughs> walking around like an accordion. And then just as he goes out of sight, you see, see him come up with an idea and he's off to the next thing to try. That's why, I, uh, that's why the coyote's on my door. Because I, uh, uh, whatever I lacked in talent, I hope I made up for it by being just unwilling, completely unwilling to surrender or quit. I'll be honest, I didn't think I'd come away from this podcast with a new appreciation for Wiley Coyote, but you got me sold. Uh, thanks, man. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Scott. All right. Thank you, Scott, for everything you've done for Kennesaw State. We look forward to having you still around here and seeing you out at Bailey Park for KSU softball, over at Fifth Third Bank Stadium this spring, and then fall for KSU football and all of the other events on campus. Inside the Nest has been brought to you by Fifth Third Bank, the official bank of Kennesaw State Athletics. This is fandom of Fifth Third Better. Visit 53.com for more information. We're taking a break here and inside the nest. That's why we had this longer episode to last you through the holidays. Until then, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Kwanzaa, a happy Hanukkah, no matter the holiday you're celebrating. I hope you enjoy it during this time traveling. I wish you safe travels, a happy new year, and we'll see you here on Inside the Nest in 2021.